gentlemen, good to have you back and it's awesome to be here with you going again through our Biblical Manhood series and today we are talking about the subject of male headship. Male headship or male authority, uh, male leadership as the Bible teaches it to us, pretty controversial topic. We're not going to really get into much of the theological controversies or arguments today. We're just going to assume that the Bible's teaching is is good and correct and really bypass over a whole lot of the arguments that are out there from the feminist and egalitarian uh, worldview. What I will be doing is I'm going to link in the app down in the, the notes down the bottom of the page. I'm going to put a couple of books there, some articles and web pages that are going to be helpful that do go through um, the theological controversies and arguments. <clears throat> and we might even tackle that at another video. Um, but for now, we're just going to uh, talk about male leadership and headship. If you are a principal at a school and there are huge errors or problems with the curriculum in your school that's being taught, the principal is the one who bears the responsibility. He's the leader and the authority. He's the one who uh, receives that responsibility. If you are a, a CFO in an um, organization or a company and uh, tax cuts have been taken illegally or the, the, the books, are, the accounting books are all out of whack and there's missing revenue, it's going to come down onto you. You're the head of that department, it's your responsibility. If you are a head of police and there is corruption in your um, department, it's going to come down to you. That's what it means to be in authority. The flip side of authority is responsibility. They go absolutely hand in hand in God's economy of scripture. And, and what we see that in God's mindset and in his design, men are the uh, leaders, author uh, people with authority, and those who are therefore responsible in the family, in the church, and in the broader society. So we're going to uh, look today especially at marriage. Um, we're going to start there because if we seek to take dominion, be image of God bearers in all of those other areas, but we neglect our wives and our family, we will fail in everything else. doesn't matter what else we do well. If we fail there, we fail everywhere. Uh, and so we're going to look at uh, marriage and uh, what it means to be head over the wife and family in, in a way that brings glory to God and nourishment and protection of the family. Um, and... Uh, uh, and and we'll, we'll look in especially to Ephesians 5. So I hope you have your Bible out. We'll jump into Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23 and onwards, and we'll start digging into some of it. Um, just to sort of give us a broad idea, the Bible's picture of leadership from uh, uh, the Garden of Eden in Genesis at creation all the way through to uh, through the Old Covenant and the leaders in the Old Covenant, through the church uh, that we see in the, in the, in the New Testament, uh, under the New Covenant era, uh, and all the way through to glory in, in heaven, we see that males are given authority, leadership, headship, and as we said before, responsibility. This is God's pattern. It's derived from God's creative purposes and design. So it's not simply that male and female are essentially the same, but we're given different roles. No, God wove it deeper than that. He gave different roles to Adam and Eve, and he gives different roles to men and women, and he gives different roles to wives and husbands, 
and he has even embedded those roles into the, the very makeup of what we are so that women's uh, emotional uh, side is different from a male's emotional side. Uh, females' uh, physical makeup is different, weaker, First Peter tells us, um, and uh, more, more fragile than the man's. And therefore, it's the man who's given that protection, that uh, providing responsibility. So we're going to look at uh, sort of what this looks like in marriage. But just as, as a broad uh, picture, we need to not be afraid of words like patriarchy and words like um, male headship. These are God-given words that give us a good pattern for society, church, and our families, families if they are done right and in submission to God's word. We can't take his pattern and then make it look like whatever we want. We can't take his authority and then exercise it however we want. We can't take his uh, words, uh, authority, submission, patriarchy, male headship, and then define those however we want to. We're taking the word of God and continuing to be under submission, uh, in submission to it because Jesus is our authority. And only when he's at the wheel will the rest of the carts uh, follow in line to the good of all people and the glory of God. Now, some people, if we were doing a manhood video series like we've been doing, and um, it's encouraging to be chatting to guys with their feedback and thoughts about what we're talking about, um, sometimes people would want to uh, start a biblical manhood series, and the first thing off the bat, the first video we're going to do is male headship, female submission, you know, wife submission to husbands. Let's start there. Let's set the ground straight. Let's get in our thrones, uh, get behind the wheel, and uh, let's assert the authority. Now, I've intentionally, very intentionally, not done that. There was a, there was a clear order that, that we have started looking at in all of the videos we've done and discussions that we've had. We've been looking at what a man ought to be according to the Word of God in and of himself. Now, that always has flow-on effects to the people around him. But our focus has been, what is God calling you to be? What is God calling you to do? What responsibility is God calling you to take on? Because it's only once you're a certain type of man, once you're a, a godly man, once you're a mature Christian man, it's only once you're those things that submission to you becomes a good thing for your wife. Only once you are these uh, 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 acting out these attributes of a godly man, um, only then is your headship a good and God-glorifying thing. Until then, it, it brings death and destruction and corrosion and depression and, and uh, the pushing down and even subjugation of women and children and other people beneath your ministry or job care. So that's why we've started by looking at um, uh, how we can be, how we are the glory of God, how we ought to display the image of God, how we should be futurists. These are all the videos that we've done. How um, uh, you, you ought to be workers and keepers in whatever uh, garden God has given to us. How we are to be those who take responsible, uh, take responsibility. Men should be gardeners for all those around us. We should be teachers of the word of God and whatever knowledge we have. We should be uh, leaders in worshipping, and we should be fighters, protectors, and defenders. Uh, so once we are all of those things, then we can start talking about uh, how you should expect or think about headship and male leadership in the home and uh, marriage. <clears throat> uh, because headship, male headship, 
authority, patriarchy, whatever you want to call it, as long as we're willing to define those words biblically, that is first a responsibility and a role to fulfill, not first a throne to sit in or a crown to wear. It's first a responsibility to fulfill. So if we think back to our previous examples, if you want to be the principal or the CFO or the, the head of police because they've got great salaries and, and, you know, and, and it comes with your own car park uh, allocated and you get your own office with, with your name printed out on, a, uh, on the thing that goes on the door, you, know, you, you want all that, uh, you want the, the badge, you want those things, you first have to realize it's not just the great salary and honor it's first a responsibility that puts you in harm's way, that makes you responsible for all the failures beneath you. For any failure, not that everybody beneath you is a failure, I mean all of the failures done by those under your care and responsibility. We need to think that way about headship as well in the marriage. Uh, do not think of it as, as, as a title to grab or a throne to sit on or a crown to wear. It's first are you willing to take up the mantle? Are you willing to take up this responsibility and, and be, be answerable to God for how you do this? If so, then this is uh, what we need. Then we're, we're in the right place to start looking into it. It is, um, and you can go and open up to Ephesians 5 because we're just going to uh, hopefully be brief and helpful and practical, um, but look at some principles of what male headship and authority and, and female submission in a marriage should look like? What are just some principles that need to be coming out of Ephesians 5 to us? Uh, but before we go, it needs another reminder is that when we talk about submission, we talk about headship and respect, uh, the quickest way to lose respect is to demand of people to respect you verbally. If you verbally require, you ought to respect me, you know, I'm, I'm the head here, I'm the father, I'm the husband, how dare you not respect me, I deserve respect, shut up and respect me. That's the quickest way to lose respect from people. Respect is demanded through action, through responsibility, and through service, not, or, you know, through leadership, in other words, not through verbal demands. It is the most uh, repelling thing for people beneath you or around you or um, um, uh, under your care to hear the demand to submit, the demand to respect. It's, it's backwards. Um, we're going to see here in Ephesians chapter 5 and um, start in verse 22. And we've got uh, a whole bunch of uh, principles that we'll go through and wrap up. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 22 starts out addressing the wives saying, wives, so in the realm of marriage, those who've made a covenant under God before people, we're together forever, we love each other, um, and even on the days we don't feel like we love each other, we will remain faithful to each other till we die. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. This is a biblical principle of female submission to male headship in the marriage. Uh, further on, he goes, uh, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. So we're going to see this word head uh, is meaning um, uh, authority. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to 
their husbands. So there we have the, that, that first principle of, of wives submitting to husbands. I need to go uh, uh, on record though as saying this number one. The command for wives to submit to husbands is not given to husbands. Men are not commanded, make sure your wife submits to you. Men are not commanded, submit your wife to yourself. Uh, that would be subjugation. That's forced submission. The submission of the wife should always be free, joyful, chosen, willing. And that's why we've started with all the, the principles and attributes that a man should have so that, and I think if you went back and watched all of these videos and had those principles working out in your life, your wife could read this text and breathe a sigh of relief and go, I'd love to. I would love to submit to my husband. He's the image of God. He's displaying the glory of God. He's thinking about the future. He's taking responsibility. He's tending to the garden. He's a worker and a keeper. He's, he's a teacher. He's a worshiper. He's a defender. If she could think all of those things, then when she's told submit to him, she would say, gladly, that would be great. He listens to me. He loves me. He leads me. He's an example of godliness. Submission is good news. So number one, submission is a command to the wives, not to the husbands. You don't submit your wife under your will. You lead her so that she, with joy, can obey this, this passage. <clears throat> um, uh, now, let's uh, look also to uh, verse, uh, sorry again, verse 24. Um, on the same vein, speaking of, we spoke number one of wife submitting. Secondly, though, the church submits to Christ in verse 24. And so wives should submit in everything to their husbands. This is the language of, as we said, authority. There's genuine um, hierarchy, not in value, but in roles within the marriage. What this means is that uh, uh, you are entrusted with a role under God. If you'll be a husband, and if you'll be a man in many other roles, but we're looking at marriage today. And this is if you're not yet married and you're engaged, or you don't even have a gal on the um, on the horizon at the moment, but you're obviously a dude, then you're thinking about the future marrying a gal. So let's think about it. Um, but, but it means that uh, if you have a wife, you have taken up a role to be the leader and the authority and the head of this body, of this relationship, of this covenant, in the marriage. So it is not a, a uh, uh, when we speak of male headship, it's not a resounding women sit down, women stop being leaders, stop being effective, stop being productive, stop taking the role away from the husband. It's primarily a call to men to stand up. You have men, very likely the wives are needing to step into all these ways because you're being passive. You're not leading. You're not bringing authoritative love to the table. You're not taking initiative. You're not doing those things. She has to stand up and then you get frustrated and you're at risk of hearing a message like this and going, yeah, that's, that's dang right. I should be the authority. So I'm going to go tell my wife to sit down. Firstly, men rise up, stand up, take what God commands us to be and do in all the previous episodes and lots of other resources you can grab. Start walking in that and you'll um, begin to see uh, uh, and, and, and uh, you'll begin to be in a state ready and willing to lead well. So um, uh, husbands, thirdly, need to see the wife as your equal. This can just not be said enough. 
when we speak of roles of headship and submission, we do not mean inequality of value or inequality of nature. Even though our natural makeup is different as male and female, we are still both the image of God. We are still both souls created by God. We are both still souls redeemed by the blood of Jesus. We are equal. We love each other in that way. And if you're not married, men need to be looking at women as their equals in value and dignity and worth. Yet, in God's uh, design, equal persons can have roles of authority and submission. And we should not buck against this as if that's, that's misogyny or that's male subjugation or this is a, a horrible version of the patriarchy that's going to destroy women. Because uh, Paul tells to us in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 3 that Christ even has a head. We've seen here, the husband is the head of the wife, to which we might say, it doesn't feel equal. How can we be equal if we're not uh, uh, the same, if we don't have the same role? How can there be equality if there's authority? Well, 1 Corinthians 11 verse 3 says that Christ is the head of your husband and that the Father is the head of Christ. So we, we will not commit any Trinitarian errors and say that Christ and the Father, or God the Son and the Father are unequal, are are uh, uh, not both eternally God, are not uh, equal in nature and value and power and authority. And, and, and so we, we would say they're both God. They are both the first and second members of the Trinity. And yet there is a willing submission of the Son into the role of Christ, the human mediator and saviour. And there is a, a uh, remaining position of authority over the Son, over the mediator Christ, Within the Trinity, so we're not. We cannot say that authority structures equals inequality. But then we need to speak back to the men here and say, men, make sure the way that we're taking authority and leading is in no way uh, communicating a inequality, a stupidity, a less than me um, uh, air or atmosphere towards our wives, daughters, sisters, or, or women in the church. We need to be. Uh, very sure of that. They are our equals. They are our equals. We, we actually see this in verse um, 28 when, when he says, uh, Ephesians 5 verse 28, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Consider her as your equal. Uh, she, is as, she should be as important to you and more so than your own physical body. She's on the same level as you, but there is authority delegated from God. Fourthly, we need to see, um, and, and this is where you might be asking the real practical question. I could just go home tonight, my wife loves me, and this is kind of new to us, but we, we, we love the Bible, so we'll listen. And I could say, you know what, turns out I'm supposed to be the authority, you're supposed to submit. Um, what does that practically look like other than just saying it and believing it? Um, and I think that part of leadership in this male role um, and I'm drawing here from resources that I'm, I'm going to put in the notes, but ones from John Piper, Wayne Grudem, Kevin DeYoung, Zach Garris, uh, Eric Kahn, all sorts of people. Um, so none of this is really original with me. But what, what leadership as a male is going to look like is, number one, uh, initiation. We need to be taking initiation with decision making. 
Uh, we see maybe a problem in the accounts. We see a problem with the kids. We see family needs a holiday. We see some changes need to be made. We see cracked piping. We see uh, our pantries falling down, whatever. We see problems or needs. We should take the initiation yeah, and say, um, uh, John Piper says it this way. He says, husbands should often be saying, let's, let's, right? He taking the initi initiative to say, let's fix this. Let's do this. Let's have a conversation about what we need to do here. Let's go out tonight. Let's take the family away. So the husband should be initiating a lot of those conversations and thoughts and decisions. Uh, and I think that's a very helpful, helpful way to think about it. That's what leadership should look like. Not a firm iron hand, but decisive, initiative-taking leadership. <clears throat> I say, um, in decision-making, while it's initiating, you should also be always asking the advice and input of your wife. I mean, God gave you a helper in your wife. Uh, God gave you a second brain with a second lifetime's worth of experience, with a second uh, soul being uh, sanctified by the Holy Spirit, gifted by the Spirit, learning the Word of God. So you've got two brains? Let's use them. You use them both. The, the wife should be frequently brought in to decision-making processes and uh, things like that. Um, I forget which number we're up to now, so uh, we'll just keep on going. Um, husbands should lead in a direction. Not just in his own direction, taking initiative to go whatever way he wants, but leading towards godliness. We see this in Ephesians 5, verse 26 and 27, when we're told that uh, husbands should love their wives, um, and that Jesus, his leadership over his wife, the church, was, in verse 26, so that he might sanctify her, which means make her holy, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So now we see that the leadership of Christ over the church and the leadership of husbands to their wives should have the direction of godliness to lead them into greater holiness, um, uh, to wipe away their sinful blemishes, not by you shedding your blood to pay for their sins, but by you leading her through the word into obedience, leading your family through the word into obedience in the direction of the family and how you spend and what you believe and where you go to church. All of these things um, means that the direction of your leadership should be, or in other words, the people who are under your leadership after some time should be looking more holy, more godly, more Jesus loving. We also need to see that husbands, as heads, should provide for their wives. We saw this where uh, we're told that Jesus, um, in verse 20, uh, Jesus to the church and men to our own bodies, uh, therefore we should also do to our wives, which in verse 29, no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. So just like you feed your body, you give it what it needs so it can get its jobs done. You give it the wheat bix, you give it the, the 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 Red Bull on the job site, right? You give it what it needs so it can do its work. In the same way, men should be the breadwinners and providers for their wives. Um, in spiritual terms, this means you're providing the Word of God for them. You're providing answers to questions, and we covered all of that in the teacher's uh, video that we did. 
But in this sense, we should be men who are providing financially for our family. Um, uh, First Timothy says that if a man does not provide for his family and his own household, he is worse than an unbeliever. He's denied the faith. Uh, this doesn't mean that women can't have an income. This doesn't mean that our wives can't work. What it means, though, is that we need to be able to provide enough and be smart with our budget so that whoever runs the budget in the household, there is enough m- income and provision so that the mother and the wife is freed up to do what she is called to do. So you need to be able to provide enough and steward what you have well enough so that she is freed to fulfill her calling from God. And that calling centers on the home. So if your house is in shambles, your kids are having hardly any time at home, they're always in daycare or at other people's houses or hardly having any contact with mum because she is needing to work to supplement your income so you can have the third boat and the second holiday house or just so you can get by because you're not willing to work hard enough or upskill. And there can be other um, extenuating circumstances that we're not addressing here. But but if that's the case, she's not able to do her God-given role, which is uh, ministering to the kids and raising them and, and managing the home because she needs to help you do your role, which is provide money. So when we nourish and cherish our wives, who we are head over, that means we need to provide enough so that they are freed up to do their role, which is focus on the kids and the home. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 8 tells us um, that the wife was created for the husband, not the husband for the wife. So in other words, Adam was created and given the mission, but he needed a helper. So God gave the wife to come alongside and help the man. I've heard it said this way, God made the man to tend the garden and he made the woman to tend the gardener. That's how the teamwork works. And uh, so um, it is not that God created Eve, gave her another mission, and then Adam and Eve sat down and said, well, if we're going to make this marriage work, let's decide whose career gets sacrificed. Let's decide who makes more money. No, the woman sacrifices her mission. Her new mission, once she becomes a wife, is support my husband help his his uh, uh, walk towards godliness and his God-given role and manage the home and raise the kids and wherever there's extra room, uh, uh, move towards side hustles and money making and, you know, like read Proverbs 31. There's lots of other things a godly woman does, but it's, it's primarily that, helping the husband fulfill his calling and raising the kids and managing the home. We did a sermon back then on uh, back in our Titus series on this. It's called Glorious Womanhood, and I think if any of that was confusing or strange, go and have a listen to that sermon, and it'll it'll cover some more things in more depth. Um, we also need to see that if you are to be ahead um, over your wife and family, it means that you need to sacrificially love your wife. Sacrificially love your wife. We we read this in Ephesians five, where where uh, Paul says that husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Jesus did not love from a distance and bark commands. He came. He loved to the point of death for us. He bled for us, and that is a picture of male headship and sacrifice for our family. We need to be loving like that, sacrificial like that. 
um, uh, towards our wives and our family. And in that way, we're glorifying God in the way marriage is supposed to. If marriage and headship becomes uh, self-glorifying, we've misunderstood it. It needs to be serving to the wife, uh, serving through leading as, as head in a way that loves and, and cherishes and nourishes the wife as Christ loved the church. Now, we, this, if this means anything, and we just need to have a little caveat when we say this, if this means anything, it means that verbal, spiritual, physical, sexual, emotional abuse has no place in the Christian household. Whether it's yelling, insulting, demeaning, uh, subjugating, uh, insulting, any of that is a, a, a horrible sin that needs to be cast to the side, repented of, um, in the Christian marriage. That is not what headship leaves room for. That is precisely the opposite. That's demonic. That's satanic leadership that abuses and hurts and destroys those beneath it. Um, so that leaves this, what we're talking about here, leaves no room for that. Gentlemen, that has no place in your life if you are a Christian or even a man at all. Uh, and lastly, we'll just, we'll finish here so we don't go too long. The husbands should be... Um, Taking responsibility. We see this in what Christ did for us. Taking responsibility for the failures of the family. If all of this sounds good, into that, that's an amazing picture for marriage. I'm going to walk into the headship, the authority, the leadership. Then you need to be ready that when failures come up, when sins come up in your family and in your marriage, you're going to have to put your hand up and take responsibility for it and say, I'm the head. I take responsibility for this. It may be my wife's fault, but it's my responsibility. It may be my son's sin, but it's my responsibility. We see this dynamic in the garden with Adam and Eve. Who took the fruit? Eve took the fruit. Who did God ask for to give an account when he came into the garden? Adam. God came in saying, Adam, where are you? What did you do? What has happened under your watch? It wasn't your fault it was your responsibility. And this is also what we see with Christ and the church. Jesus is at fault for nobody's sins. And yet he entirely took responsibility for the church's sins. He did not commit them. He had clean hands, but he willingly got in and got his hands dirty, taking responsibility for our sins, not committing sins in order to solve it. And that's a picture for us. that We need to be like Christ, seeing sins that are not our fault, but taking responsibility for them to lead and love towards godliness sacrificially as the heads over these households. I think, I know, I see in scripture, if men in a church do this, they take hold of this vision and lead like Christ in their families, uh, we will see women and children flourish and we will see a generation and uh, uh, bleeding effects into the community of, of, of flourishing, human flourishing in society, especially starting in the church, um, because it started in the families. But even for it to start in your families, it needs to start in your own heart. So go before the Lord, bring repentance and confession, um, as we all need to do weekly, daily. Uh, bring those to the Lord, see where he might improve your leadership, increase your strength and your boldness and your sacrificial love uh, so that you might walk into this Christ-like husband uh, calling that you have 
been given. Jesus is faithful to forgive you of sin, to empower you for righteousness, including being a responsible, loving, and over your marriage. God bless. See you later.